I love being able to talk about brands that I use on my podcast, and I've personally been using this one for over five years. Our sponsor, Nature's Way Alive, women's multivitamin gummies are specifically formulated for women. They contain 16 vitamins and minerals, including the full B vitamin complex to help convert food into fuel and have the added benefit of supporting healthy hair, skin, and nails. With just two delicious gummies, Nature's Way Alive, women's multivitamin gummies are an easy way to feel like your best self every day. To learn more, visit naturesway.com slash Gemma10 and use code Gemma10 at checkout for 10% off any alive women's multivitamins. Terms and conditions apply, valid through June 30th. There is a whole collection of black lead products at Walmart that can fit into your daily routine. And in every purchase, there is power. So show black founders some love, not just during Black History Month, but all year long, because every time we buy a black led brand, we make room for another. Black founders and the products they bring to the table are creating a whole new world of choice at Walmart. Go to walmart.com slash black and unlimited to discover all the amazing black owned products that you can add to your daily routine. Managing our money in our 20s can feel like a bit of a challenge, whether you're saving for your first car or for a big overseas trip. It can take time to get there. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you are trying to manage your money in your 20s or trying to run a small business, Intuit helps you take control through products from Intuit like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Ugh, our 20s. The drunk dialing, the forgetting to wash our face at night, and yes, neglecting our teeth. Don't do that last one. You only get one set of teeth, so you need to protect them. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface and locks in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. Pronamel also makes a new mouthwash, which helps to repair acid-weakened enamel beyond brushing alone. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair any where you buy your toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit pronamel.com today. Hello everybody and welcome back to the psychology of your 20s, the podcast where we talk through some of the big life changes and transitions of our 20s and what they mean for our psychology. Hello everybody, welcome back to the show, welcome back to the podcast, new listeners, old listeners, wherever you are in the world, we have an exciting, exciting guest today for a very exciting topic. We did a series on the show called Dating in Your 20s and our guest has decided to join us and share some of her own wisdom. Violet, how are you going? I'm well, thank you so much for having me, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, of course. It felt like such a natural fit, honestly. So Violet, if you do not know her, is the host of the Almost Adulting podcast, otherwise known as Daddy Issues online. Some amazing advice given over there and just like some hard truth spilt. So I feel like this is going to be a great episode. Yeah, I'm excited. Thank you. Uh, yeah. yeah, we got we got really we got on really well before we started recording. So that was that's always good. Yeah, well, I felt like we were sitting in like Zoom talking because you're in <laughs> LA. 
Yes. Yeah. And I'm in Sydney and we were sitting on the Zoom, I think for like half an hour, just actually just <laughs> having, having a yarn, as they say in Australia, having a little chat. Um, so I was like, we're about to spill some hard facts. Everyone's open your ears wide. <laughs> That's so cute. Okay. Your phrases. I, I could tell you Australian the minute you said the word heaps when we were talking in DMs. I'm like, okay, so you're in Australia. What, what is it? Heaps? You, yeah. You said heaps. There's heaps something. Oh right? yeah. Yeah. I totally see that. So it's so funny because I don't notice it until I'm on calls with people who are based in the U S or based in London and they'll be like, what did you just say? Um, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. I also got this like random DM from someone the other day that was like, you pronounce all of your words incorrectly. Like, and I was like, yeah, she was. And then she like, was like, these are the words that I heard in your most recent episode that were wrong. And I was like, I've got an Australian accent. Like, it's not, I know. Yeah. It was so strange. No, it's a real thing. I have gotten before negative reviews on my almost adulting podcast and mean DMs when people get upset with me when I don't pronounce myself when I pronounce someone's name or word incorrectly even though English is my third language people forget that whatever countries you're from you end up pronouncing words differently yeah exactly Americans forget that yeah that's so interesting as well considering that English is your third language yes like come on give give you be nice about it I feel like if they also spoke three plus languages, they are welcome to criticize. But if not, you yeah, know. it's kind of like if you were trying to speak French right now because of how you grew up speaking uh, English with your Australian accent, mm. you will not be able to have the proper accent that French people have because I speak Hebrew. I have the perfect French accent when I speak French and I'm able to mimic it perfectly, but Americans mm. will not be able either. And I will be able to say a lot of words with that you guys won't be able to. Because yeah. of how I grew up. So it's the same thing. Then people from other, that speak other languages can't pronounce certain English words because we've never learned how to pronounce it like that or our mouths don't move in that way. I don't know how to explain it. But there's just words, some words that we just won't be able to ever pronounce. I'm not even going to try and do that R sound that you just did. <laughs> I feel like it's going to be so embarrassing because <laughs> I unfortunately only speak one language. Anyhow, look at that. We're already off on like a, a massive tangent. What we're really here to talk about today is dating in your 20s. And I feel like you have a lot of wisdom. I, even before we jumped on this call, you were saying you're in like a long-term relationship for most of your 20s, weren't you? Yes, I was. I was in... Wouldn't it be funny but I was just thinking if I was one of those guests he asked me a question, I'd just say yes. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> oh my That's god, it. I'd be working hard. <laughs> oh. uh, um, okay, so yes, I was in a relationship most of my twenties. I was on and off with one of with my second boyfriend. I I basically growing up and well, I started dating when I was seventeen. I was very much a late bloomer. I wasn't interested in boys. I'd moved to America when I was 14. I was just trying to figure out how to speak English. And I was not even thinking about boys. I did not get mm. them at all, especially Americans and in Los Angeles right away. It's it's a whole different world mm. with those kids. So, and I had my own issues growing up aside from, I was born with a birth defect. So it, it gave me a lot of insecurities. I stayed away from boys until late teenage years, but also I grew up as I'm known as daddy issues. I grew up with daddy issues when I got through my uh, teenage life. So, of course, that 
subconsciously formed the way I started pursuing my partners. I didn't know this yet. You don't know this as a child and you don't know this as an adult that a lot of the pattern of who you date has a lot to do with your childhood trauma. You don't realize that yet. So the, the guy that I was just, it wasn't love. It was obsession. He was my drug. And I didn't know why he was my drug, but I was addicted to him. I was addicted to my relationship for eight years. It was on and off. And he was just my everything. I mean, when, when every time we break up, I, I would not, it almost felt like I couldn't breathe. I was a person that I didn't want to get out of bed until he spoke to me, until I knew we were going to be okay. It just felt he was my everything. And of course, when you have those type of partners, they love it. But guess the type of person I ended up attracting? Emotionally unavailable partner. Did I realize that? No, of course I didn't. I just needed him to love me. And for eight mm. years, it was this constant chase. Maybe one day he will love me. And I did everything I could to be better for him. For eight years, I was shaved my body every single day. As long as we were together, my body shaved every single day. I want to be beautiful for him. Did he still cheat on me all the time? Yes. Did I know? No, because I secretly didn't want to know. I, di I secretly didn't want to know that because I think I didn't then want to deal with what would happen if I mm. found out because then I would actually have to leave. And that's a whole other thing. Did I love myself when I was growing up? No, of course not. Because if I did, I wouldn't have stayed in the relationship. But I think everything that happens to us, including the people we date, it's not in a way that you look back and you think, I can't believe I gave him all my 20s. I can't believe I did this. It's more, that was a life lesson. And the reason I stayed with my partner for so long was because the universe was teaching me over and over again, the same mistakes that I was just, for some reason, not learning. And it wasn't until I'd learned how to love myself that I removed myself from that relationship and started working on myself. Do I have some regrets that a part of me wishes I didn't give so many of my 20s to someone? Just one person? Yes. But that's mm. what I needed in my path to learn. I wish I didn't only exit that relationship in my late 20s and early 30s. And that was the first time I learned how to date or I had to unlearn everything I thought love was. I had to unlearn. I had to learn what I like, what I don't like. The other, Because when I got out of the relationship with him, I tried to date uh, guys afterwards and I would pick fights with them thinking that was going to make us closer. I would pick mm. fights to get that tension because that's what I grew up with my dad when I was young where my dad forgets I exist, so I have to act out. And when I act out, even if he beats the shit out of me, at least he notices me. So mm. then accidentally in my relationship ended up being the same thing where we would fight and that's when my boyfriend paid attention to me and then we're fine. That was so insightful. I was so, so insightful. And I think it really goes to show the complex interaction between how we were raised and how we approach intimacy and romantic relationships. And I think people often don't think that those are linked, right? They're like, yeah. okay, well, you know, my childhood was a discreet time in my life and my adulthood or my adolescence is also a discreet time. And there's no overlap. But it's like you really are the, still the same person that's traveled through all of those experiences and the trauma that you take from those will be brought into every chapter of your life. What do you think it was about your attachment style or how you were raised or your childhood that led you to be attracted to emotionally unavailable people? Okay. So here's the thing. A lot of people, when they listen, they think, well, I don't have daddy issues that I can't relate, but they may have mommy issues. Or they think I grew up with both of my parents together, or I grew up with that parents or whatever your dynamic in your 
growing up is, you'll be surprised, but everyone has some type of childhood trauma without even realize it. And trauma is not as bad of a word as people think it is. It just means it's what formed you into the human being, the adult that you are. And it's up to you now as an adult to unlearn a lot of these things. So again, even if you think, well, my dad was really nice to me, so was my mom. Let's say there's guys out there, their mom loved them so much. Guess what? They have mommy issues where they're, mm. they now attract women like their mother and they hate them. They're repulsed by them because they feel suffocated and it reminds them of their mother. So then they end up chasing women who don't love them. So everyone has their own weird type of dating stuff that has to do with your parents until you realize it's happening and you have to unlearn it, but you have to be self-aware. So I attracted my partner who I was obsessed with who was my second boyfriend because my first one was just chilling, but my second one was like a drug because mm. he was emotionally unavailable, which was similar to my father. And the reason we end up attracting these type of partners, not just emotionally unavailable, anything that feels familiar, anytime in your life, you meet someone and one person you meet and you're like, okay, maybe I'll go out with them a few times. Oh, maybe I like them. Then someone else you meet and you're like, whoa, I like you. Mm. What is this feeling? I don't get it, but if I love it. And it's because it feels familiar. And the, famili- the reason it feels familiar is because it's a childhood wound that you have inside yourself that hasn't healed. And your body feels at home, but not in a good way. In a way mm. that something hurt you when you were a child. And this, that's what it's reminding you of. And what's happening is, this is the psychology behind it. We attract partners that are similar to our childhood traumas or our parents when they hurt us because it's your brain hoping to revisit the same situation that happened to you in the past. And it's hoping that the outcome will be different this time. Mm. So if, if my father was emotionally unavailable, which he was growing up, which, but because I didn't understand his love language yet. So nothing I say is in a way where I want anyone to feel sorry for me because I've worked through that. For me, my father was emotionally unavailable. He didn't know how to express his feelings and he didn't hug me or kiss me until I was 24, 25. And that's because I changed the cycle in our family because I made that choice. But until I, ch- but until I decided to make that choice, I was dating guys like my dad, including my ex. So I started dating a man who was also emotionally unavailable. And my brain was hoping maybe eventually this guy will love you. So even though when you were growing up as a kid, your dad didn't love you, this man will finally give you the validation that you've been searching for years. And guess what? It didn't happen because no matter what I did, I wasn't enough or that's what it felt like because love first has to start with you. That's the longest relationship you're going to have in your life is a relationship you have with yourself. You can't Mm. continuously seek this validation outside love if you don't love yourself because you don't know. Not to mention, I don't know what love is. I grew up with a dad who didn't kiss me or hug me or tell me he loves me. What do I know what love is? I see my dad being cold. I think that's love. Mm -hmm. So that's what I attract. Just like I have friends that grew up in a very abusive households where their parents were fighting all the time. They end up attracting a partner that they're fighting with all the time. They think that's love. Mm -hmm. So many of us don't realize, but we don't even know what love is. I agree. Honestly, and especially as people in our 20s, I think love for us is sometimes just a feeling. And we think that it's passion and we think that it's chaos or we think that it should just be this like easy thing and we really don't know because I think just like trauma love is also incredibly subjective but it's interesting that you talk about how you like shifted the dynamic because I feel like 
when I've done a lot of work with my own therapist around my attachment style and, and all that comes with that. And I think it doesn't just have to do with your parental relationships. You know, as a child, I was really bullied, was really badly bullied. And I never really felt like anyone liked me that I was like wanted or desired as a friend. And then as I got like later into my adolescence as someone people wanted to date. And so as soon as I went to university and like people were like attracted to me and there was alcohol and I was, there was all this freedom and I was living in college. I had no standards for myself because I was like, well, I have this inner childhood wound of not feeling wanted and feeling unlovable. So the moment that someone comes in and is like, you know, even just wants to have sex with you, they don't want to give you anything more. My brain was like, well, that's showing that they want you. And that's like a really, that's something that you've always wanted. That's something that you're really like, you've always desired. And wouldn't it be amazing to finally have that? So I basically just didn't have any standards for myself and would attract people who treated me badly or who were like almost cruel or super ambivalent towards like our relationship. I don't but know. Again, how you-, you didn't know what love was. Of course, of course you equated that to love because you did, you said I, I felt unlovable. People didn't want to be my friends. And, and the thing is, that was the reality you create to yourself. And when we feel that way about ourselves, it doesn't matter what's happening on the outside. We don't mm. see it. And eventually you grow up and you realize, wow, all these people around me are trying to love me. And I'm not even seeing it because I'm so focused on the people who don't love me because I grew up feeling unlovable. So again, you don't know what love is. So then you only then end up being drawn to people who don't love you. Or you mm. end up being drawn to someone that even for a night gives you sex because in that moment you feel desirable and you feel wanted. And I, for the longest time with my ex-boyfriend, all we had really is sex. We didn't really talk. I didn't know how to open up to people. I, I never talked about my feelings. So I did, even though that was my one partner sexually, it's all I had to offer him was my body. I wanted to be beautiful for him. I wanted, I was having sex with him. So I also equated sex with love. And that's the thing that a lot of women do. And I've tried to talk about that before. And of course, Some people may not agree with my opinion when I say hold off on sex, but I believe it's genuinely important, especially if you're someone who still has to figure out your emotions and your mental health and to put yourself first and to learn how to love yourself. If you accidentally fall in love through sex, which has been a thing for me, then hold off because you want to get to know somebody on an emotional level before you catch up to it in a physical level. But you asked me something else, and I'm sorry that I ended up forgetting what you were talking about. <laughs> Honestly, it just shows that you're passionate, and I feel like that I'm so this passionate is just, when I talk. <laughs> I know, I love it. It's like honestly so refreshing. But it's interesting. I just want to quickly talk on this. Um, I was literally looking into this research the other day. Sex creates like an emotional and neural bond with someone. I'm not saying for that women. that doesn't mean, yeah, for women is like in particular. And I'm not saying that that doesn't mean you can have as much casual sex as you want, but it's worth noting that when you are physically close with someone in, in that manner, whatever sex is for you in that moment, the amount of like oxytocin, which is like the chemical associated with happiness, but also bonding that is released. It's no wonder that so many people, I think, find themselves, they've had sex with someone and then suddenly they're like, oh my God, I'm attached. You've got to also know what you want. Like I started doing this thing where I realized that I was very actively going for people who I actually didn't even respect 
or have anything in common with. Because I was like, oh, you know, well, then they'll never leave me and I'll feel loved. And it basically like retrained my brain into not feeling that I actually deserved the love that I wanted. So now I like have... I like went to my therapist and was like, this is happening. I keep getting like obsessed over these men who I don't even respect. You still get obsessed over them. Not anymore. This was like back maybe like a year and a half ago. Um, I like went to her and was like, I, I'm like, there would be men who were violent. Like they would be like, so like literally one of them was, (laughs) was living with it, like living out of his car and with his friends. No shame to that. Like people go through different life circumstances. And he broke up with you and he said, you know what? I think I can do better. Oh yeah, probably. (laughs) Like I, I think he, it was a long relationship, but like there was another one who's like, He's like, I still live at home with my mom and I hate my job, but I only work three days a week. And I have no, I was like, what are you interested in? And he's like, I don't really know, like watching TV. And I was like, I was like, are you the love of my life? Cause it's like, if you don't have hobbies, I can be your hobby. I can be your hobby. Because I'm interested in me. Yeah. And the other thing was like, he couldn't drive. And I was like, I can teach him how to drive. And then you know what? He can depend on on me. me. Exactly. It was, it was toxic. And like, I can look at that now and be like, I get that. I get where that was coming from. I get why that was bad. Cause I've healed that part of myself. But the way that I did that was like, I literally set out like point blank in my notes. I wrote it in my diary. Like, what is the bare minimum here? Like, what do I want? And after like dates, I would go back and be like, did they actually meet this? If I like, couldn't really tell, I would go on a second date. But if it was like, no, then I was like, I always message them being like, I'm really like, I had a really amazing time, but this isn't going anywhere. And it's like a massive thing you need to learn. So I think my question to you was like, what do you think that, what do you wish you'd known at that time? Or what do you wish you'd known earlier as someone back in their twenties? Well, A, I wish, it's hard to say because a part of me wants to say, I wish I learned how to love myself sooner when I, but then I also think I needed to have all these life lessons. Mm. But I guess if I was being unrealistic and more dream in dreamland and if as I a could Scorpio, say, yes, if I could have the same outcome as now, if nothing would change, if something that I could wish that I learned faster is probably how to love myself and how to walk away from a partner that was never going to love me because it was never about that person. And I wish that I didn't, you know what actually I wish, I wish that I would have have been more brave and learn and and change my generational trauma and my family's dynamic sooner because so many years I was always so afraid of being rejected by my father which sounds so silly Mm. for anyone out there that doesn't have the type of issues whether it's your mother or your father but it's this weird rejection because people don't realize if you have daddy issues the first man that breaks your heart technically is your father which is a little strange but I didn't really grow up with him. And then the th- I remember when I saw one of my friends hug my dad, I didn't understand why she even did that. And she, I was like, wait, you just asked your dad for advice and you guys just hug just like that. That's so weird. She goes, do you not hug your dad? And I go, well, I don't even know what he would do. What if I tried to hug him? And he was like, ew, why are you touching me? That's so not our mm-hmm. dynamic. It's weird. So it took me years until, and I never would say I love you to him because I was scared he would laugh in my face or he would reject me. And I was scared of the rejection. And that kind of created my, the rest of my identity mm. where it was around the male gaze where I was insecure enough that I stayed with my ex for so long. And I was, I was just there to be pretty 
and have sex with my boyfriend while he was cheating on me. But that was my role. And I still didn't know who I was. So when I one day as an account, I used to be an accountant. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I have two degrees. So I used to be an accountant. That's one of my degrees at a big public accounting firm. And when I was getting bullied at that firm, it's actually one of the reasons I started daddy issues. So honestly, bless them for bullying. Yeah, Thank you thanks. so much. Thank I you for how being so strong. <laughs> I wonder how they're going. Yeah. How are you, how are you going, friends? <laughs> so because of that, I created daddy issues secretly. And daddy issues when I created it. And I got to see with just through memes that my, and when I created daddy issues, I created an alter ego because at this point I had no idea who I was and I felt so invisible. I had no identity and the people created me because when I started posting random things anonymously, because I was anonymous for almost two years is when I suddenly got to see, oh, other people can relate. Oh, I thought I was alone in this. Okay. And that gave me the conf. And when I created daddy issues, I wrote about a girl who was my alter ego because I could never be as cool as her. She was a popular girl. She was a skinny, pretty girl that everyone liked. She grew up rich. I grew up poor. She had all the money. She did all the drugs. All the boys liked her. I was so invisible. Or at least that that was my view. That was my reality. And that's how I was able to have the confidence to run daddy issues, which is so funny because I was pretending to be her. And that gave me, and seeing how people could relate that I'm not alone, it gave me the confidence in the first time in my life that I said, you know what? I don't care anymore if my dad's going to reject me. Cause I want to tell him that I love him. Cause my father may not have it as who knows when, how many more years I have with him. I want him to know that I love him and that's all that matters. And I want to hug my dad and I'm okay if he says no, or cause at least I tried. So, cause at least then he'll know that I love him. So I started doing that. It was a practice. I started, I started on the phone when we about to talk on the phone, barely, but we're about to hang up. And I would say, wait, dad, hold on. He's like, what? I'm like, I love you. And it's like, uh, he hang ups. Then eventually I'm like, wait, dad, I love you. Silence stays on the phone, stays on the phone, hangs up. Then eventually dad, I love you. Silence. Me too. Hang up. Then eventually dad, I love you. I love you too. (laughs) I know it's so sweet. That is really sweet. Yeah. And then eventually started, you know, trying to hug each other and all that. And now my whole family dynamic is so different. And in a weird way, that helped me learn how to love myself and it helped me stop feeling this, bless you. Sorry, I get so sensitive about my dad stuff. That's um, okay. It helped me stop fearing. Like my dad's love was the scariest thing to me. So once mm-hmm. I wasn't scared of being rejected by my father, it almost felt like I was free. Because mm-hmm. even in that moment, I would have known whether or not he was going to reciprocate. And if he didn't, I would have finally let it go. And if he did whatever. But in that moment also is when I got to learn love languages and Mm. all that and attachment styles. And I got to learn that my father did try his whole life to love me. I just didn't know because my dad's love language was putting a roof over my head and and acts of service because his father was an alcoholic drunk who got beat up to death when he was, my dad was 17 for being a Jew in communist Russia. And he, he left my father and his mother with nothing. So my dad swore to never be like his father to provide us with a home and get me through school. And that's exactly what he did. That's how he showed me his love. But I didn't know because mm. I'm just a child. I just want to be hugged and I don't have yeah. that. But he didn't grow up with that. So as an adult, I got to learn that and I got to forgive my father for not knowing any better. Mm. And I got to show him love and he gets to give me love back and I get to show love to the world. And that's actually one of the reasons I created my podcast because 
it was me being so fascinated and curious about all these things I didn't grow up with. And it made me want to, as I'm learning everything, I want to share it with my audience. Mm. Oh, that's so beautiful. It really is. And a massive testament to you that I think not many people have the self-awareness and, and the vulnerability to actually approach that issue within their family. Like so many people just kind of get to the point where they're like, this is how it's always going to be. But you fully changed, like you healed your generational trauma. Like you yeah. genuinely did that. As as a single individual, you sat back and were like, this is mine to fix. And you did Thank it. You. And that's, that's so like, nice. oh, it's you're so deserving. You're so deserving of that as well. And what do you yes. think? When I I really want to pick up on what you talked yeah. about when you talked about love languages as well. Do you mm-hmm. need a minute? Do you want to pause for no, a second? No, I'm fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Are you sure? I'm getting my period. Stop. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> do you think that knowing what you now know about your dad's love language has changed your love languages over time or changed how you approach how you communicate or show your love language? So I think as we get older, our love languages are constantly changing as we are constantly evolving, hopefully, which is what you should be doing. And I think the coolest thing about love languages is that we don't realize two things. Number one, the love, the love languages that you have as an adult, actually the love languages you didn't get as a child. Yes, fully. So my love languages were touch and words of affirmation. But I didn't know that was my love languages, but that's what I lacked. And the love languages I was giving to other people were gifts and acts of service, because that's what I grew up with with my father. So, I, And the second thing that we don't know about love languages, aside from it's always changing. So I guess the second thing is that it's always changing. So then the third thing we don't realize, love languages apply to everything. And a lot of times we tend to apply them only in dating. And then... How often do we have breakups with our friends? And that's a thing that we never really talk about. Mm. Friendship breakups and the friends. But love languages also happen in your friendships, in your family dynamic with my sister. My sister and I, uh, during the pandemic, we had a really big fight. And I just couldn't get it. She called me selfish and all these words. And I did, and she, she said, you, make, you just don't love me. It feels like you don't care about me. And I said, I don't understand. I'm trying so hard to show you that I love you. Mm. Every day I text you how amazing you are and how much you're killing it. And I've been buying your children gifts because uh, I love you so much. She goes, you're so fucking shallow. Like, it's like, you never answer my texts. You don't call me. And then you just tell me I'm amazing. Like, what does that even mean? And that's when I sat down instead of attacking my sister back, and and not speaking to her, whatever people like to do these days, I realized, wait, why would she say I'm shallow? I don't get it. I'm showing her that I love her. And then I realized, wait, does she not feel loved by me? What does this mean? And then I started digging into love languages and I realized, oh, I bet we have different love languages. I bet I'm doing my best to show her that I love her, but she's not speaking the same love language as me. So to her, she feels unloved by her own sister and we're, we're best friends. Mm. And that's when I realized, Karen, what's your love language? And she said, what are you talking about? And I said, Karen, just do the, the test, the random free test on Google. Figure yeah. out your love languages. I think that's where we have the issue. So again, I put my ego aside to figure out, instead of taking what she said personally, to understand how can I make my sister feel loved? And that's when I realized for her, um, what is it? Physical touch and quality time are her love languages. 
So we are we're the pandemic. So we can't do quality time. So she's missing that. And I mean, physical touch and the quality time. I'm not, I'm so busy with work. That's not priority for me to answer people's texts right away or to call. So I'm doing what I know best, which is, hey, you're doing great. Or you look so cute in that outfit because mm. that works for me. But for her, it's shallow. So once I realized that, I my phone's always on do not disturb. But with my sister, I removed that. So she texts mm. me. I answer right away. I always call her. I check in with her. Now the pandemic's over. I make sure to spend time with her because I know that's what's important to her. Is it one of my, it is technically one of my love languages now, but in the past, was it? No. But because I knew that's how she felt loved, I made the effort to do that. So I think mm. it's the same thing with couples as well. You should ask each other or your friends, what are your love languages? And even if those are not your love languages, then you can put the effort to make the other person feel loved. Because a lot, it's so sad, the fact that all these years growing up with my father, he did his best in his own way to show me that he loved me. And I was this lonely child thinking, what does my father hate me so much? Mm. you know mm. yeah that's so rough I think but it it shows a great maturity and I think self-awareness to recognize that your love languages aren't just for what you need but they're for what others want to receive from you as well and you have to adapt them to different circumstances especially in relationships where you really love the person and I think a, a familial and a sister relationship is such a good example of that where it's like okay I feel like Sometimes love languages don't really apply in like the early stages of dating if you're not like committed to each other. But when it comes to those like lifelong relationships that are always going to be by your side, it's worth really acknowledging like where your capacity for showing love and the kind of love you show has come from and how it can change over time. Because I, I also agree. I do believe that it will change. And there are certain people in your life who will change that for you. Like I think I was always someone who I thought my love language was like physical touch and words of affirmation. And then I had this boyfriend who was so generous with me and, and would always give me gifts that he'd really thought about. And I always felt so awkward about receiving those. And I was always like, oh, no, no, no. Like, this is weird. This is like, what are you doing? You bribing me? Like, what's happening? Are you bribing me? I don't know. I just, I wasn't used to it. I was like, first. Yeah. I was like, this actually makes me uncomfortable. And then he was like, no, I'm actually Aww. just doing this because. I love you. And I was like, and then it completely changed. And now I'm much better at receiving gifts from people when I like, you know, when they've really thought about it. It was the only way it. he knew how to express himself. Yeah. And it was you. so sweet. It was really sweet. He like, yeah, he was a good boyfriend. Shout Aww. out to that boyfriend. He was a goodie. <laughs> Before we wrap up, I do want to ask just like one final question here, because I feel like a lot of what we've spoken about today is navigating our childhood wounds and our these versions of our younger self that we have to adapt and bring into our current selves and understand and love. So what would you say to like your younger self, that little girl who didn't feel particularly loved or seen by her father or any of those versions of you? Mm, I guess what I would tell my younger self, I would tell my younger self that all the things in that moment that I think are important and matter will not matter a couple of years from now, whether it was, dying to be popular in high school, to be seen, the boys that I thought were cool, the guys that I was dating, then none of that will matter. And wanting to get love from people that never loved me, that all that would not matter as long as I love myself. I think the biggest lesson I could have given my younger self is that no one else knows what they're doing and everyone else is just as insecure as you are. 
that's the biggest lesson that I would take away. And it took me a lot of years to learn that no one else, everyone else is a loser, just like you. Because first you're like, I'm the biggest loser in this room. And then you're like, wait, no, everyone else is a loser in this room. No one is thinking about you. No one's thinking about me right now. No one's judging me. No one gives a shit about me. And you know what? That's beautiful. That's amazing. Because then I get to walk around and live my life and do everything I want to do because no one gives a shit. We, we spend so much of our lives caring so much what everyone else thinks until one day we realize that no one was ever thinking about us at all. They were thinking about themselves and their IBS and, and you know, the guy who didn't text them and whatever else. They weren't thinking. They don't give a shit that you forgot to brush your hair. They weren't looking at you. And tomorrow, they're not going to remember that because they're going to think about something else. So you're going to spend your whole life, what, not moving forward, not doing shit because, God forbid, someone else is going to judge you? Fuck those people. You know who tells you not to do something? It's people that are too scared to do it themselves. So what I would tell my younger self is to... Everyone's so insecure and to not listen to other people to tell me that I can't do something or that I, or no, because what the F do they know? Mm. I totally agree. Uh, one of my friends said this to me the other day and it really resonated. It was like, you will never be judged by someone doing better than you. No one doing better than you is ever going to judge down on you because they know. You know and what? I just, that makes yeah. me feel... I really needed to hear that. That makes me feel so much really? better. Thank you for really? saying that. I'm going to write that down. That yeah. was really good advice. It really changed things for me. You know, I feel like wow. it was, I feel like both of us are, have online, a big online, you have a massive online presence, mindless, sorry, but still an online presence. And sometimes people can be really mean, Yeah, really mean. And like, it's just, it really, I was talking to my friend about it and she said that to me. She was like, listen, none of these people have what you have. If they w- if they did, they wouldn't be saying anything. Like, can you imagine someone doing better than you ever criticizing you or putting you down? It's like, no, because they're not insecure because they yeah. don't have that need to prove themselves by tall poppy syndrome like we were talking about before. So, yeah, like Kylie Jenner's not sitting around thinking like, that's a stupid episode. She's more thinking, okay, yeah. don't want to listen to this or not. Goodbye. You know? And then she goes mm. back to her multi-billion dollar company. <laughs> exactly. Meanwhile, we're just here like, ah, <laughs> letting little trolls like ruin our days. So <laughs> yeah. it's a good thing to remember. That's a really good advice. Thank I'm you. glad you liked it. Well, thank you for coming on. Of course. Was, thank you so much for having me. It was honestly probably one of my favorite episodes. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I hope that everyone who is listening right now learned something, enjoyed it, and that you go and listen to Almost Adulting and follow Daddy Issues on Instagram because both are incredible slices and corners of the internet. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Almost Adulting is on every Tuesday and Thursday. My sole episodes or guest episodes normally Thursday. My short episodes and more fun episodes are Tuesdays available on all platforms. And then I'm Bella Benson. You can follow me on Instagram and then my meme account, Daddy Issues underscore. Yeah. It's so funny. I've actually been following Daddy Issues since I was like 19, 18. Really? Yeah. It would have been a while. I remember like 
uh, me and my friends really liking it back when I was in uni. Oh my God. So that's this so is a full, that's full so circle funny. moment for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you everyone for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave a five star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening right now. If you feel called to do so, of course, it really helps the show to grow. Um, also feel free to join the community and follow us at that psychology podcast on Instagram. We take episode suggestions we'd love to hear from you and as always have a lovely week wherever you are in the world and we will be back next week for another episode Ugh, our 20s. The drunk dialing, the forgetting to wash our face at night, and yes, neglecting our teeth. Don't do that last one. You only get one set of teeth, so you need to protect them. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface and locks in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. Pronamel also makes a new mouthwash, which helps to repair acid-weakened enamel beyond brushing alone. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy your toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit pronamel.com today. It's time to celebrate Black History Month at the Walmart Black and Unlimited Clock, one at Flatiron Plaza in New York City and one at Ovation Hollywood in Los Angeles from 8am to 8pm with giveaways dropping every hour on the hour. It is the perfect time to try, like and share black lead products. It's free, it's for everyone and it's your chance to see how you can level up your daily routine with black lead products that are creating a new world of choice at Walmart. Trust me, you don't want to miss it. As someone who works for themselves, I am always looking for ways to make my life a little bit easier. One of those things is Canva's AI-powered Canva presentations. When I need to make a deck super quick for a meeting or a pitch, I just start with a prompt, describe my presentations in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides in seconds. It is the perfect way to get a head start on my slides. It's incredibly easy to learn and use. And they also look incredible. I can then customize based on my favorite style and content. And there we go. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? Enter Conair Girlbomb, your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women. From the ultimate girl bomb grip and professional grade blades, you don't have to compromise and settle for less. Conair Girl Bomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girl Bomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you.